my son has never worn a leash. My three-year-old son has never worn a leash, okay? But my dog has. They've always worn leashes. And I started to think, what if society said dogs can't have leashes? Like, we don't put leashes on kids. Welcome. My name is Michael Aceta. I'm the founder of Matador Canine Brilliance and author of the Dog Training Cheat Codes. You're listening to the Acknowledged Dogs Podcast. What I want to talk about today is off-leash training. Off-leash training and the prerequisites that are required in order to have an off-leash dog. It's not as simple as just unclipping the leash, although a lot of people just do that. That actually gives me uh, anxiety. That makes me nervous when someone just unclips the leash. And I've been around enough trainers and enough individuals that I know some people just do it. They just go, oh, it's going to be totally fine. Let me just unclip my dog's leash. And, you know, they're not going anywhere. I know they're not going anywhere. Great. Okay, that's wonderful. But for me, I need to have some reassurance. I need to know that there's been training involved. I need to know that I have multiple boxes checked off before I upclip, uh, unclip my dog's leash. So we're gonna go over those things. What do I need to check off in order to make sure that my dog's ready to have the leash taken off, that we can start having off-leash adventures, that we could go into the woods and go for hikes, or in the event of an emergency, I know that I can call my dog when I need to. If the leash breaks or the harness snaps or I trip and I drop the leash, I've seen all these things happen. When your dog's running away, how do you get them to come back? Now, I was thinking the other day, I was walking with my family. I have a three-year-old son and my uh, significant other. We were just walking. We were kind of enjoying our, our day. We had the dog with us. And I started thinking, my son has never worn a leash. My three-year-old son has never worn a leash, okay? But my dog has. They've always worn leashes. And I started to think, what if society said dogs can't have leashes? Like, we don't put leashes on kids, okay? There's a certain prerequisite to a child being able to walk around, right, without being carried or put in a stroller. They have to listen. They have to, uh, you know, understand what you're saying. And you, they have to have some type of engagement with you. They want to walk with you. They want to hold your hand, right? They want to ask you questions. So they're engaged with you. And we don't even think about that when it comes to our kids, but we never think about it when it comes to a dog. So I was really thinking about it and I was like, okay, let me, let me look at this from a, a scientific perspective because that's what I do as a dog trainer. Our dogs get used to having the leash on and we get used to the leash being there. We've essentially become dependent on the leash, keeping our dog at a certain distance. It being, you know, six feet or 10 feet if you have a long leash or 30 feet if you have a really long leash. I like to walk with a four foot leash because I like my dogs really close. But if I just lost the leash, and I had to practice building my dog's engagement and rewarding them heavily, wouldn't it be different for them? Would it change something? And that's what we're going to talk about today, the prerequisites to having an off-leash dog. What I do with my clients when I want to build engagement is I tell them to get rid of the leash because there's two main things we need to have in the beginning. Engagement, actually there's three things. There's engagement, there's confidence, and socialization before you take the leash off your dog. So that engagement comes from practicing giving them treats, giving them praise, having them want to interact with you. If they don't want to interact with you, then you can't have an off-leash dog. Because once you take the leash off, they're going to go run after something else. 
They're going to go run after the squirrel. They're going to go say hi to somebody. They're going to go sniff the grass over there. And you have nothing to get them back. No reason for them to want to come back. Okay? So you have to have the engagement aspect there. If you don't have the engagement aspect, nothing is going to happen. You, you just, you don't have the confidence to let your dog off leash. And I think that's one of the biggest pieces that are missing when we have our kids. Our kids want to engage with us. They want to talk with us. Or if you went for a walk with a friend. Your, your friend doesn't just take off in another direction. No, they hang out with you, right? They want to interact with you. So you guys are having a conversation. If something was really blown out of proportion and they ran off to go somewhere else, well, the conversation wasn't as important as that something else. My point being, there's a simple way to build engagement with your dog, and that's treats. That's what we always talk about, right? Something that can reward the dog and encourage them to continue hanging out with us. The more you reward them, the more they want to hang out. The more you get to reward them, the more they want to hang out. And then we talk some about an, some advanced stuff where you don't have to reward them as much, but that's a later episode. So once you have the engagement down, your dog wants to engage with you, you then need to build confidence and socialization. You cannot have an off-leash dog if they are nervous or unsocialized. So if you have a reactive dog, then you can't have them off-leash. Kind of makes sense, right? My first dog, her name was Breezy. She's still alive today. I think she's nine or 10 years old. She lives with my parents. And she is terrified of the world, or at least she was for a majority of the time. We've done a lot of confidence building over the years. But in the beginning, when I first got her, she was terrified. And we were always nervous about her slipping out of her collar or the leash breaking or the harness breaking. Anything could happen. This is where my brain, my, my brain, my brain goes all the time, right? I'm constantly thinking about what is going on? What could be the potential problem? And so instead of waiting for it to happen, I intentionally trained for it. So we worked on a recall very, very subtly. Okay? Every day, we just did a little bit here, a little bit there, building engagement outside, trying to build up her confidence. And one day she ran out of the front door, sprinted down the block after her bunny, and I was able to call her name and get her to turn around. She practically skidded on the floor. Okay, and it made it so much easier and, and better for me because of all the practice that we did. Because otherwise, my dog would have ran down the street, gone to a main highway chasing after this bunny and potentially gotten hurt. But because I had engagement, because I did a lot of practice, I was able to at least get her attention. Then she freaked out because she was outside and she was nervous about being outside and she just kind of froze. So we had to then work on confidence. We had to work on the obedience part of being out in the world and socializing her. That's what we're going to get to in a second. But confidence, if your dog is nervous, they can't think clearly when they're nervous. A friend of mine had a German Shepherd who was afraid of lightning and rain. It got out during a storm. Of course, the lightning happens, the rain happens, the dog freaks out, and it ended up a couple of blocks away. I think it was lost for two or three days because it got afraid. It got so scared, it ran to try to protect itself, and the owner couldn't then go get the dog. Couldn't recall the dog, couldn't get the dog's attention, couldn't do anything, because the dog was that afraid. And so if you know what your dog is afraid of, I encourage you to practice everything you do with your dog. It doesn't just have to be recall, it doesn't just have to be engagement, it doesn't just have to be obedience, but tricks, manners, agility, conditioning, anything you do with your dog, you should practice in the situations where they might be a little nervous. It's going to build up their confidence, their certainty in their capabilities of what to do when they are nervous.
I want to take a moment and thank all of our loyal followers. This podcast would not be possible without you. Leave a review and let us know what you like and want to learn on the next episode of the Acknowledged Dogs podcast. Now, back to the show. And then you need to have a dog that's well socialized. As I mentioned before, if your dog is reactive, they're barking at people, they're barking at other dogs, they're barking at squirrels, cats, bicycles, skateboards, cars, whatever it is, your dog is not well socialized enough to be trusted off leash. What do I mean by that? If my dog's barking at people, I can't take them off leash because eventually they're then going to go run to the person and they're going to be so worked up and all over the place that they end up either, you know, maybe biting the person potentially if they're reactive. Maybe they get up there and scare the person and the person starts swinging at the dog. Absolutely can happen. And it's absolutely happened, right? We see it on TikTok all the time. We see it on social media all the time. So your dog needs to be socialized with those things. They need to not necessarily love them. They don't have to love them to be socialized with them. They just need to know that they exist and that they're normal, okay? Socialization does not necessarily mean your dog has to love something or play with it or enjoy being around it. They just have to be neutral around it. They shouldn't be you know, overly dramatic on one side or overly excited on another. Usually people get this confused when they get puppies. So if you have a puppy and someone's saying, oh, you got to socialize your dog, it doesn't necessarily mean bring them to playdates or go to the dog park or bring them to PetSmart or bring them to a boarding place where they can play with other dogs every day, a daycare. And that's not what socialization means. Socialization means they can be neutral in the presence of anything, a bike, a car, a shopping cart, okay, a guitar, someone with a hat on, someone with glasses on, someone stomping in work boots, Right? holding them upside down, grabbing them, squeezing them, those things they have to get socialized to. They have to get used to those and know that they're normal. If they don't know they're normal, they're going to be a little weary of them. And if you're out in an environment, your dog's off leash, either by accident or intentional, and something spooks them and they're not used to it, right? A car like those uh, big trucks that whistle and then, right? Those trucks often scare dogs or 18 wheelers. Those often scare dogs because they're just not used to them as much unless you live in an environment where they hear them all the time. And so you, it would behoove you to play sounds like that in your house while your dog eats. It's the best way to do it. There is nothing for them to actually get afraid of sight-wise. They don't smell anything, but they can hear it and they can use the sound. Then when you're out in the environment, because they're used to one aspect of it, the sound, you can start to focus on the sight and the smell of it. You're kind of, you're chopping away if you will. If you have this giant piece of marble, you're chipping away at all the pieces that might cause a problem, and you're leaving just the masterpiece in the middle, which is all the success, all the off-leashness, okay, that you're striving for, that you're looking for. So the three things, engagement first, confidence, and then socialization. Now that's just an emotional kind of prerequisite. Behavioral-wise, the behaviors that our dog does there's three more prerequisites that you need to have an off-leash dog, okay? Now, this can go for any type of obedience that you want, and that's totally fine. It could be sit, it could be down, it could be heel, they could stand in between your legs, it could be a placemat, right? You can just walk around with a blanket, throw the blanket down, have your dog lay on it. But these are the three requirements. Number one, it must be reliable the first time you say it. The first time. Not sit, 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 sit. It should be sit. 
My dog does it immediately. Okay, before you even finish saying the word, they should start the behavior. That's how you know that your dog is reliable in the behavior. Okay, they, they know what the behavior is. If they don't know what the behavior is, they're not going to do it. Oftentimes, that's the problem when your dog's not listening. You tell them to do something, and either it's not the right word that they've associated, or it's not in the same environment that they learned it, and so they're a little confused. Dogs don't generalize well. And so if you tell your dog to get off the couch, and the word you always do say is off, right? Say off, 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 and eventually your dog does pick up that off means get off the couch. But today you said, get off the couch. Well, those are two different things, right? Off and get off the couch are completely different. So if I say the word off and I know my dog can jump off, great. Now I can reward them for listening to the correct word and the right terminology and the behavior that they did. But if I say get off the couch and they don't do it, and then I scold them for it, they go, oh, well, I don't really like listening to mom or dad because they scold me when I don't understand. Nobody wants to learn when they're getting scolded for not understanding something. Nobody wants to learn when they're getting scolded for not understanding something. That just doesn't, it doesn't help them learn. It doesn't make them feel confident. It doesn't make them feel comfortable. It doesn't open their brain to the possibilities of what life could be like if they learned that material. Same thing with your dog. Your dog is going to shut down and go, I don't know why mom and dad are mad at me, but I'm going to go do something else. So to have an off-leash dog, you must have that level of reliability. When I say sit, my dog has to sit every time. They can't ignore me. They can't choose not to. They can't uh, get distracted by something. Every time you say sit, they must do it. Now, the second prerequisite to obedience behaviors is having them at any distance and any dis uh, duration, rather, okay? Any distance or duration. So if my dog is 100 feet away and I say the word sit, he still has to sit. If my dog is 10 feet away and I say sit, they have to sit or down, or heel, right? Even if it's at a distance, if they're 100 feet away, I say heel, they should run all the way over and then heel next to my leg. So you have to be able to do it at a distance because if your dog is off leash, they're going to get far away from you. Like That's the whole point of having an off leash dog. If you're gonna go hiking with your dog or maybe you're gonna go to the lake or maybe you're gonna go to a field and start playing fetch or whatever it is, if your dog is off leash, they're going to be farther away from you than normal. If they were going to be close to you, you might as well just put them on a leash for safety reasons. But if they're going to be farther away from you than normal, you need to practice having them listen farther away from you than normal. Oftentimes people run into the problem with having their dog on a 30-foot leash and practicing on a 30-foot leash. And then once they take that 30-foot leash off, the dog knows, oh, 31 feet? I don't have to listen. That's often the problem with using punishment to get your dog to do something. There's a contingency involved. The leash is there. The collar is there. My presence is there that says you must do this now. If you don't do it, I'm going to correct you, okay? We don't want that. We want our dog to want to do the thing. If they want to do the thing, then we can reward that and they start to think, oh, I'm the one making the decisions here. Dad just seems to give me stuff when I do stuff. I can make him give me treats. That's fantastic. I'm fine with that. If my dog thinks that, it's great. Okay. I let my son think that he's in charge half the time. <laughs> okay. When we go out to eat, I say, hey, do you want this or this? I give him the option of two things. And he goes, oh, I want that. Great choice. I love that. So he he's kind of 
in a box where he can make a decision. And that's what we're doing with our dog. Especially when you have a leash or you're doing some kind of setup like that, right? You're creating a situation where, well, they can either go ahead and get nothing or they can come towards me and get a treat. Well, which is it? Which do you want to do? And we just make the one so interesting, so inviting to them that they choose the option we wanted them to choose in the first place. But in their mind, they thought they figured the game out. Oh, I figured it out. All I got to do is go to dad and he's going to give me a treat. And then, of course, there's advanced techniques to getting rid of the treat and later on. Okay, but your dog needs to be able to listen at a distance. They also need to be able to listen for duration, for timing. This is often overlooked, and it's one of the fundamentals to having a dog that listens reliably and on the road to off-leash. So what do I mean by duration? Do I mean how long it takes your dog to do something? No, I actually mean the opposite. How long your dog is capable of doing the behavior. If your dog is sitting and they sit for five seconds, and then they just pop up expecting a treat or expecting to go somewhere or do something else, or that's just a habit that they've gotten into, then what ends up happening is that's the routine. I sit, I wait for five seconds, I get up and I go do something else. What we want to have happen is when you say sit, they should sit forever until you tell them to do something else. Whether it be you tell them to down, you tell them to recall to you, or you release them. You can have a release word, right? Okay is my dog's release word, meaning you can go do something else. So the duration is highly important because if you're going to teach a down at a distance and it's an emergency behavior, right? It's an emergency obedience behavior. My dog is running after something and I say down. I need to be able to get up to them and grab their collar because the situation might warrant not being able to recall them to me. Maybe I was lucky to get the down because of the level of distraction in the environment. I don't want to then push my luck by trying to recall them, which releases them from the down and creates the potential for them to run after the thing that they were running after. So I need, I need to have something that can he keep them there. Also, duration is going to help create space between whatever it is that's distracting them and the urge to get up and go after it. What do I mean by that? If my dog can sit in a down uninterrupted by any distractions for three minutes, once we start to increase the level of distractions, we increase the difficulty, the duration is going to go down. This means if three minutes with no distractions turns out to be 30 seconds with distractions. So I've actually given myself a better opportunity, better chance of succeeding, giving my dog a better chance of succeeding simply because I practiced a little bit more duration than normal, than maybe what I need in an average life, right? My dog just got used to it. Oh, three minutes, I'm gonna stay in this down, perfect, that's fine. Then with the distractions, oh, it's 30 seconds, whatever it may be, okay? Now there's one more prerequisite when it comes to emergency behaviors that you have to dial in. Nobody talks about this, nobody does it, and it is one of the biggest mistakes, okay? If you're going to have a dog that's off leash, they need to be able to listen in any orientation. What the hell do I mean by orientation? I mean, in relation to you, if you were to think about a compass or a clock, it's easier to think about as a clock. If you're facing 12 o'clock, they're facing 12 o'clock, will they still listen? If you're facing 12 o'clock and they're facing six o'clock, will they still listen, right? Oftentimes we're facing 12 o'clock and they're facing six o'clock. So we're looking at each other. 
like this. What happens when they're looking the wrong way? What happens when they're looking away from you and they're running away from you? That's what happens when they chase after something. And when you don't practice them listening, running away from you, they don't ever learn to turn around in order to come back. Maybe you don't want them to. Maybe you want them to stop and face the direction they're going. Maybe you're doing hunting work or you're doing bite work or some kind of sport event. So you want them to continue drop into a down and stay facing that direction. That's totally fine. You can train that. But most of the time when we're talking about an emergency recall or having a dog off leash, when we say their name, we would want them to turn around and then we could call them to us. Or we can have them turn around and then down so that we have more of their attention focused on us. But they're still at a distance. That's totally fine. But you have to practice having those different orientations, whether they're facing away from you, they're uh, angled at a side, or maybe you're in front. Maybe you're facing the wrong way for whatever reason. Okay, that's more of a what's called a permutation. A permutation is the orientation of two points and how they're related to each other. And so if you're permeated one way and they're permeated the other way, they're behind you, then will they still listen? Those are the things you need to practice. Okay. Now that's a lot of prerequisites. I'm going to go over all of them again, just for those who are tuning in now. It's the prerequisites for an off-leash dog. One, confidence. Two, engagement. Three, socialized with the environment, especially the one that you're going to be in when you're off-leash. Then you need to have emergency obedience behaviors locked down. They need to be one, reliable the first time you ask. Two, they need to be in controlled of distance, duration, and distractions, okay? And then number three, you need to be able to do it in any orientation or permutation. Thank you for listening to the Acknowledged Dogs podcast. Subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and connect with me on your favorite social media platform.